This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the Tuesday night of Mississippi State Week. It is time for Tide Talk with myself, Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, and of course, the incomparable one, Charlie Potter. Alabama beat reporter, team insider for BOL. Charlie, you keeping warm in this sudden winter that we've uh, sort of progressed into here? It's cold out there. Yeah, I mean, like (laughs) today, um, it it wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't so windy, but it did after that rainstorm. It just kind of it kind of came out of nowhere. But um, and the thing is, Alabama's media room. Uh, up at uh, Mount Moore, the Naylor Stone Media Room, it's a it's an ice box. It's a freezer in there. So when you have your jacket on, when you have your jacket on outdoors, you don't take it off when you get in there. So I've been uh, I've been pretty cold all day. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, I saw you were well insulated. I thought you and I of uh, people at practice on Tuesday. I thought we were pretty well prepped. You know, I thought it spoke to the sort of organizational skills that the staffers. <laughs> at BamaOnline.com have and sort of their preparation and the diligence and the pride we take in that. But, um, you know, I, I here's where it gets tough for me with this weather. At just about every meal, I want to eat comfort food. You know what I mean? Like, it'll be like 1030 in the morning, and I'm thinking about lunch already. And I go from thinking salad in July to freaking meatloaf by the time November and December rolls around and that's just lunch, you know? So then when dinner comes around, Hey, let's maybe have hamburger steak with some onion and gravy, uh, throw some rice on there. Maybe, you know, a biscuit or two. That's where, this is the time of year, Charlie, where I get in big trouble. Now you're younger. You probably manage that better than I do, but it's a, it's a real, it's a real hazardous type of time of year for me. No, it's, it's starting to get an uphill battle for me, too. But I agree. Like, when you get to the, this point in the year, um, for me, like, I don't really love things like chili or, like, soup in the summertime. But, like, today, before interviews, uh, the wife and I was like, we need to get some soup because it's cold outside. And yeah. uh, you mentioned just other meals. Uh, anything that has gravy is fair game <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, it is. I mean – We've gotten to the point where, you know, Thanksgiving's right around the corner, um, yeah. you know, a, a meal with some kind of bird and maybe some dressing. You could, you could eat that twice a day, if not three times a day. And, and you got to have mashed potatoes or something to go with it, you know. You can't just get – you don't want anything cold. So the salad, that's where the salads go out the window. For me, I don't want, you know, like a cold-cut sub or something like that or salads. I want that hearty, hot meal, you know, that meat and three. It's a tough, tough time. Got to be careful. Uh, it is also a time when uh, we weekly have college football playoff ranking reveals. We had another one earlier on Tuesday night. The Alabama Crimson Tide checking in at number five in the latest CFP rankings. 
behind a couple of SEC member institutions, of course, LSU, with that win over Alabama last Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium, vaults to the number one spot, and it is Georgia, Charlie, in that number four spot. Does it really matter, though? I mean, when you really look at this top six, seven, eight right now, uh, a lot of this is still going to play itself out between the teams themselves, and... You know, if you're Alabama, you got to take care of your business. But I, what was your initial thought of, of where Alabama landed on Tuesday night? Good, bad, and different? I, it was pretty much what I expected. Um, you know, I thought with seeing how the AP poll and the coaches poll had Alabama at number four, I thought that might be the case. I think I would vote Alabama number four um, if I was on the committee or if I had to vote in anything. Just because you look at, the, the full body of work, Alabama has handily beaten the opponents they face, and then they have what is the best loss in the country. And I know people are hanging their hats on Georgia's, you know, win over Notre Dame, they went over Florida. You know, that's what uh, Rob Mullins, the, the CFP chair, said uh, to Reese Davis shortly after the rankings were unveiled, that they, you know, took a lot of uh, account into the wins that Georgia had to put them at number four. But Georgia also has a really bad loss to South Carolina. Um, but like, like you said, I mean, there's still a few more of these to go. Um, if everything plays out like it, it should, LSU and Georgia will, will play in Atlanta. And um, I think Alabama fans are going to be really keeping an eye on that uh, Auburn-Georgia game just because if, if Auburn beats Georgia, then Georgia basically eliminates itself from the, the playoff discussion with two losses. And then that makes the – a potential win over Auburn for Alabama um, a, a lot more attractive just because they have another signature win over uh, a conference team, Power 5 team. And um, also you're looking at the teams behind Alabama. They have Oregon right behind the Crimson Tide at number seven. And, and uh, I think that Pac-12 championship game uh, could be something that, that comes into play that final week. Um, you know, Oregon and, and Utah seem like they're on a collision course of sorts there, but you know Oregon opened the season with a loss to Auburn, and if you're comparing an Alabama team with one loss with an Oregon team potentially a, a Pac-12 champion uh, with one loss, they have the the same opponent uh, on their schedule, and in Alabama, you know if everything plays out like um, I think a lot of people expect, the Alabama would have a win over Auburn. So. That's hypothetical. That's looking ahead, but uh, I think we even touched on it last week. These are these are for discussion, um, but they are starting to matter. It's starting to get closer and closer to that selection Sunday, and uh, you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, with Oregon and Utah, basically the winner of that championship game, that's going to be the best win either of those two teams have, right? Um, in that championship game in the Pac-12. Here's another thing too: right or wrong. These aren't blind resumes for these teams, okay? These aren't resumes that don't have Alabama on them or Oregon on them. The committee knows full well whose resumes they're looking at. And there's a reason why the old Pepsi challenge, this may be even before Charlie's time. He probably, Charlie, you probably know what I'm talking about. The Pepsi challenge they used to do, and they, they wouldn't tell you, you know, between Coke and Pepsi, which one you were drinking, you know, with the hope that, well, you would pick Pepsi and it, because it was a blind challenge. And you know why? Because if you knew one of them was Coke, you probably would still pick Coke 
You know, even if you even if you thought maybe Pepsi did taste a little bit better in this in this instance, maybe if you even think Oregon's resume is a little bit better or another team's a little bit better. If it's next to Alabama's and the selection committee knows that's Alabama's resume and it knows Alabama has played in the previous five college football playoffs and has won six games and two national championships in that span. Fair or not, Charlie, that's going to matter, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, the thing that with this is there's a lot of debate. They, there's a reason they have multiple analysts giving their opinions, and there's so much talk leading up to these uh, college football playoffs. Is there's a lot that goes into it, but I think a lot of people want to point to the most deserving team, and that isn't the criteria. I think that uh, needs to be you yeah, know, that's more close to this. That's code for keep one loss Alabama out a exactly, lot of times. Exactly. That's, that's what that is. That's agenda, right? I just think if you look at the four best teams, obviously the t- the three at the top that are undefeated, uh, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, nobody's going to argue with that. I think if, if Clemson loses a game, that'll make things interesting. But those three are at the top. But a team like a Minnesota that's undefeated, a Baylor that's undefeated, they're not better than this Alabama team. And I don't think a lot of people believe uh, either of the teams out of the Pac-12 are. I mean, before the season started and even, you know, into you know week one two whenever Oregon loses to Auburn you know Washington kind of falls off the rail a little bit the same with USC everybody kind of wrote the, the Pac-12 off but now you know they're they're positioned at number uh, six and number seven I just think if you look at all the one loss teams and then those fringe um, undefeated teams I don't know of anybody that's that's watched these games and watched these teams perform that would think that they're better than Alabama. And I think the the goal of this entire playoff is to have the four best teams in there. And I think right now and and probably you know when we get to Selection Sunday, Alabama is one of those four teams. You know, I, I, you tell me what you think, Troy. I think Alabama's doomsday scenario and all this right now is within its own league. I think that involves Georgia winning in Atlanta. Whether Georgia uh, wins in Atlanta as a one-loss team, beats Auburn, goes on to Atlanta, beats LSU. I think in that scenario, the SEC still likely gets two SEC teams. It's just that it's going to be Georgia and LSU. Um, it, 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 to use, uh, I don't have a better term for it, but kind of as an at-large team, LSU then goes, I would think, instead of Alabama with with Georgia as sort of the AQ, the automatic qualifier although it's not written in that way. That's not the way it works officially, but we know a one-loss SEC team as a conference champ is going to get in. Where it gets really crazy, perhaps, you know, let's say Georgia loses to Auburn, but still goes to Atlanta and beats LSU. Now you got a two-loss SEC champ and a one-loss LSU. And think, think about the possibilities then, and, and none of them, I would think, would be good for Alabama in that scenario. Yeah, that's where it gets really dicey. Um, I don't envision a world where uh, this Georgia team can, you know, match the scores that uh, this LSU team can can put on the board. Uh, yeah. We saw what happened in Tuscaloosa. And I, I just don't think that Georgia team is well equipped or not. But you never know what's going to happen. That's a prediction. So right. um, that would be the worst case scenario because um, you just have a lot of the teams there on the outside looking in and, and vying for that spot. But um, yeah, yeah that, if, that Georgia, would be... if Georgia loses in Atlanta, I think in any other scenario, Charlie, you can make a really strong case for yourself if you're a one loss Alabama. Would, would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, you just heard me fumbling over it. If that scenario <laughs> happened with a two loss Georgia beating uh, LSU, that's when it, you know, you don't have any sympathy for those people that are in that committee room. Uh, that, that would be, that would be interesting yeah. to say the least. Yeah. I didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but you know me, <laughs> I, I can't help myself. I know I'm the one preaching. It's only November 13th. And then I take us down that rabbit hole, uh, in, in early December, uh, almost a month away. It is Charlie Potter. I am, he is Charlie Potter. I am Travis Schreier. It is Tuesday night tide talk here on the built by Bama online podcast. Let's get into some more immediate pressing concerns. And for this Alabama football team, Charlie, that entails, trying to rebound from that difficult loss to the LSU Tigers, a road trip, a short one, uh, just across 82 there, to Starkville, Mississippi, a Saturday late morning kickoff against the Bulldogs of Mississippi State at Davis Wade Stadium. Let's talk about it. Alabama, in terms of your time around players this week, what you've heard from Nick Saban, what has been apparent in the media viewing periods during the week to this point. Um how is this team responding, in, in your opinion, to, to this loss to LSU? Yeah, it's it's always strange because it, it's so different. You know, I mean, covering this team, you don't cover a lot of losses. Um, that was only Alabama's fifth loss at home uh, since 2008. You know, Alabama's had the same number of national championships since then. So that's astonishing um, what they've been able to do from just a consistency standpoint. Um, it just speaks to the, the level that Nick Saban's got this program. But, you know, when talking to players today and, and even after the game and, and then Monday, um, you can kind of sense that they're disappointed that the, the air's kind of been uh, let out a little bit. But, um, the biggest thing is they're trying to forget that and move on to this week. Um, we've seen several times in the past is after these, you know, big hyped up LSU games, you have a trip to start well, and it just turns into the weirdest Saturday that you can imagine. Um, it, you know, it just seems like there's, there's always something strange going on in those games, but um, I think they have, you know, they're saying they have respect for Mississippi state. They have a talented running uh, game, but the, the number one thing is that they finish strong. Um, I think that's been clear is, they obviously know, and, and I hate to use this term, but it's been used uh, a, a lot this week, is they know they don't control their own destiny from this point out. They're going to have to to win their games, control what they can control, and then hope for a little bit of help. Um, you know, it, it is not going to need to be just an astounding amount of help, but you know, they need to go out there and, and win these games pretty convincingly. I think they're capable of doing that. Mississippi State is giving up more than you know 30 points a game, but um, it is just a situation where these players – seem very aware but also disappointed of what happened so um it's it's a mixed bag uh, it is a situation where you go and talk to these guys and you can tell they're not used to losing i don't want i'm not saying they're sore losers or anything like that but it's just it's a different and very unfamiliar tone yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. uh it's almost strange to cover just because it seems like you're you're talking to a, a different team but it that is the case and um, yeah, they, they have a good opportunity to bounce back these next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens. Yeah, the mindset will be a major storyline going into Saturday's game with State. But physically at this time of the season, even with the bye week before LSU, uh, how guys are dealing with the long haul, with the grind that is a 12-game regular season in a league like the Southeastern Conference, 
I guess we obviously have to start with Tua Tagovailoa, how he has responded with that ankle uh, to the performance against LSU. Uh, I know in the first couple of days of the week, we haven't seen him do a whole lot out there on the practice field. Um, And just this team in general, I would say really other than Tua um, coming out of LSU, Charlie, would you think this team came out of that, that, that battle in pretty good shape from a, from an injury standpoint? Yeah. Um, you know, during the game, you had a couple guys, you know, leave and go into the tent. Um, one was Jalen Waddle when he almost got his head ripped off on that touchdown on yeah. the punt return, but he was able to return to the game. Um, you know, Anthony Jennings was down and kind of limped off the field, went to the tent. He was able to return and both those guys have been practicing. So just from an overall standpoint, um, I think they did. They came out of that in pretty good shape. Um, for Tua, though, you could see, you know, going back and watching the game, because obviously up in the press box and you know trying to post the story as quickly as possible, you're not down on the field and, and seeing those guys. But you know, he's a, he's a guy that was you know limping pretty good off the field, and that's to be expected. I mean, he's 20 days removed from ankle surgery, and he just played the entire game through for 400 yards. Um, you know, escape pressure for most of the night, only got sacked once, but it took some hits and. I thought he, you know, he had a very admirable performance, but yeah. that was one of the first things for me uh, just to, to get on uh, Monday after they had kind of had a day to rest and evaluate how did Tua come out of this game from a health standpoint. And, you know, asking Saban that on Monday, you know, he said, as to be expected, he's sore. Um, you know, they did everything that they could from a medical research standpoint and uh, to try to find out if he had any damage or hurt himself in any way uh, after the game, and he did not, which is, you know, that's what you want to hear if you're an Alabama fan. And um, they're going to still manage him day to day. I would imagine that tomorrow, whether it's on the SEC teleconference or when he talks to us after practice, he'll probably say that two is a game time decision. But um, I think the the biggest bright spot is that, you know, he doesn't have any further issues with that ankle. And uh, I'm sure they're going to rest him as much as possible. He wasn't out there at practice Monday. I don't think he practiced at all Monday. Um, he was, I guess the best way to, to describe it is present on Tuesday yeah. and he was just standing out there. He even, there are times whenever they sneak guys into kind of the, the, the shoes that they train in the weight room with, they, they're black. They also kind of look like the cleats Alabama wears, but not to a tool. Like he might've been ready to go uh, hit up the tennis <laughs> courts of anything, but, uh, he wasn't doing anything. I, I imagine they'll take it pretty easy with him the rest of the week, but you know we'll see how he progresses and, and how much he's able to do, if anything, this weekend. Yeah, functionality, obviously, uh, and the ability to protect yourself. Um, it, it, I thought it was encouraging at least Monday to hear Nick Saban talk about the situation in terms of soreness. He didn't say things like setback or re-injury. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I got to think I, I'm not a specialist, obviously, in in the 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 ankles and feet and things like that. But that tightrope procedure, uh, once it's performed, I, I got to think it's it's hard to re-injure it. But that doesn't mean that from again a functionality standpoint, some swelling, the 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 pain tolerance that comes with it, uh, that that it still isn't a, a sizable concern. Um, so if Tua does play on Saturday against Mississippi State. What do you sort of anticipate in terms of the approach of the Alabama offense? Is it all systems go? Is it similar to what we saw with what Alabama came? Alabama came out against LSU like it was just, you know, regular Tua. Um, it seemed like, though, as that game went on, especially in the second half, there was more of a concerted effort to go downhill with the running game with Najee Harris, get him more touches, um, become more 
I would say, play-action-like with Tua in that passing game off the run. So, so what do you with all those things in 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 the mix, Charlie? What what do you think you'll you'll see Alabama come out in if if Tua is in fact able to go? Yeah, if he's able to play, I think it'll probably be pretty similar. Um, I think that you don't want to handcuff your offense by any stretch, and you know they have those talented receivers, and you know Devontae Smith is coming off a game where he had. 200 yards for the second time this season he's on his way to a, an all-american like season and you know leaving early for the draft of the way he's producing i don't think stop you wanna... it charlie don't talk <laughs> like that these alabama fans they're clicking off the podcast right now sorry. when start talking like that yeah. sorry to bring up hypotheticals but <laughs> he he is having a good year the receivers are having a great game i thought you know um henry ruggs and, and jerry judy uh, were clutching some instances there were a couple of drops but i i think the way the offense uh was able to to make explosive plays but also lean on Najee a little bit i think that would be the the way they would go again uh you'd want to kind of sustain drives continue to protect that defense a little bit um but you know Najee's running really well um he's he's been able to kind of be the bell cow for them just from a running back perspective they haven't had to or they haven't went to to Brian Robinson much it's been kind of the the Najee Harris show and he's performing really well so I think that they have the weapons around Tua to kind of take the load off where he's not having to go out there and um play like he did Saturday, uh, just from trying to will the team back. I think, you know, I, I don't anticipate anybody out there believes that Mississippi State is going to win this game, but I think they need to go out there and continue to put up points, though, and win in convincing fashion to keep themselves in, in the spot that they're in and maybe even bump themselves up to number four at some point. But um, the good news is they're facing a defense. I think I was looking at it earlier where they've only had 13 sacks this season. They obviously yeah. missed the guys that, that went out early for the draft. Uh, guys like Simmons, and um, I think that they'll still be pretty protective with two if he plays and, and use that play action, lean on Najee a little bit, but he's still going to try to get the ball to those receivers and make explosive plays and put points up on the board. Yeah, there will be balance. I don't have any doubt about that. I'll just be interested to see if maybe it's more pistol and less you know, uh, spread and tighter formations, uh, maybe even some more Chris Owens in there as that extra offensive lineman and a tight ends number. Um, It'll be fascinating to see how Steve Sarkeesian and that offensive staff sort of goes about it. You touched on it too. This Mississippi State defense ain't that Mississippi State defense. The one that came in here a year ago, that was a legit top five defense in college football. And you said it, three first round picks left that defense. And you've also got this Tudor Gate 10 situation, the academic scandal that Mississippi State went through. And with, uh, you know, a, a number of players from Mississippi State forced to sit out eight regular season games. Willie Gay Jr., one of those linebackers, he was really good against Alabama here in Tuscaloosa last year, had nine tackles, two sacks, and an interception. The expectation is that he's one of three defensive players that are sizable contributors to this Mississippi State team on defense that likely won't play because they've played, they they, they were allotted four games in the regular season to play. And these guys have played in three already. Well, you still got the Egg Bowl, which for Mississippi State is essentially the Super Bowl. So if you play Willie Gay and some of these guys on Saturday, you're not going to have them for Ole Miss on Thanksgiving night. And so uh, that's something to keep an eye on in this game as well on Saturday. Hey, uh, Charlie, as we move on here on Tide Talk on this Tuesday night, need to talk some hoops. Nate Oates getting that first 
win of his tenure at the University of Alabama. Bittersweet day, though, wasn't it, on Tuesday for Alabama men's basketball? Yeah, it was. You know, before, or I guess just Monday. as yeah, it was just Monday. as we went into practice on Monday for football practice viewing, um, you know, they released a joint statement from Greg Byrne and and Nate Oates that Javon Quinterly's appeal had been denied by the NCAA, so he's going to have to sit um, the entire season. He hasn't played yet because you you had the appeal process going on, and he was denied his initial waiver. But uh, I think they're really hopeful that he would uh, win the appeal. That was kind of the the mindset going into this whole thing is that they didn't think initially he would get approved his initial waiver. But after you kind of got to sit down, do a conference call uh, with the NCAA committee, have you know Javon tell his story, uh, have their compliance officers, their attorneys, even Greg Byrne in there and, and share their side of things that um, you know, they would be able to convince them and, and win that appeal. That wasn't the case. He's obviously um, – disappointed he can be in NATO Oates because you're you're talking about a team right now that has um you know two wings that are out for the season and James Rojas and Jawan Gary. Um you know Herbert Jones hyper extended his elbow in the first game of the season against against Penn. He didn't play in the second half of that game and he didn't play at all uh, on Monday night. So uh you know getting Javon Quinterly um eligible would have been big not only for the rest of the season but for Monday's game just because you were already shorthanded. So, um, you know, they went into that game with, with um, you know, an eight-man rotation. They had two guys foul out in Galen Smith and Beetle Bolden, but they were still able to pick up the win. I, I don't think Florida Atlantic's just, you know, the best team in the world, but to, to be able to do that with, with all the, the bad news that had been happening, coming off a loss in the first game, uh, a loss that happened in the final, you know, three seconds of the game after a couple of missed free throws. I think that was kind of the, the boost they needed. Um, it, it was a, a situation, though, with Javon Quinterly where um, you, you don't really need any other injuries to happen this year at any position because uh, you're looking at 10 healthy scholarship players and they're not really playing Raymond Hawkins, so that number's down to nine. And uh, I think they're hopeful that they get Herbert Jones back uh, this Friday before they play uh, at Rhode Island. But I think he's still going to be a game time decision. He was moving pretty well during warmups, but, um, you know, I don't know if he was even, you know, working the, the arm that he injured. But just from a Quinterly standpoint, like I said, it's a, it's a situation where they're disappointed, uh, but they'll be able to get him you know, on the court full time next year. And uh, but they're they're not going to need anything really uh, unfortunate to happen the rest of the way because they're going to be uh, shorthanded if it does. So is Kyra Lewis on multiple levels, multiple different ways? Is he kind of the Tua Tonga Vailoa of this uh, of this men's basketball team in terms of importance? Maybe even if it's if I don't get struck by lightning for saying this, maybe even more important relative to what he means to this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's a stretch. Um, you know, Kyra is important from, uh, you know, the perspective of both ends of the floor, but even more so on the offensive end. I think he's their most consistent offensive player. Uh, I think Herb Jones, if you just look at it from a preseason point of view, I think Herb is maybe um, on the level of a Dylan Moses just from a defensive perspective. He's easily Alabama's best defensive player, and I think he gives them some options offensively to, to change things up and to play him at the four and move guys around. But yeah, I mean, Kyra played 37 minutes. Um, they were hoping to play him a little less, but clearly whenever you have um, Beetle Bolden and, and Galen Smith foul the game, you, you got to do what you got to do. And he had another game where, you know, he wasn't posting 30 points, but uh, I think he was effective. 
And um, yeah, he's a guy that's just improving uh, dramatically. He had six rebounds, eight assists. He's uh, contributing all over the floor. And uh, I think he's growing as a leader, too. You can kind of tell that on the floor a little bit. So he is very important to what they want to do. If something happens to Kyra, um, it's going to be it's going to be rough for Alabama just because he's their best player. He's their best point guard. Um, you know, that, that limits what they can do with the point. I think you can probably play Beetle Bolton and, and Jaden Shackleford there, maybe even some Herb Jones in some instances. But, uh, you know, the offense runs through him, and I think it's most effective when he's on the floor. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's that guy, too, that shot clock gets down to 10, you know, and, and usually it doesn't in this NATO system. <laughs> that, that typically isn't a problem as much as it certainly has been in the past with Alabama men's basketball. Uh, but he's that guy that they refer to as an eraser because he can erase a lot of problems uh, mm-hmm. just by what he's able to do on the basketball. Well, uh, Charlie, I think that's going to do it for Tide Talk on this Tuesday night. Anything else you think we need to hit on? Uh, not that not that I can think of. Um, there's another big weekend in the NFL for Alabama. Several defensive players scored. Derrick Henry almost had wow. 200 all-purpose yards. Um, trying to think. Uh, These Alabama well, defensive players scoring touchdowns, man. It, yeah, it's, it's like it's like you know they just carried it over from the SEC from Alabama right into the National Football League. It's crazy. The crazy thing is, too, it, none of them are Eddie Jackson, who just seems like a magnet to the end zone. Uh, it's been guys like Minka Fitzpatrick's lived there. Uh, Marlon Humphrey's scored quite a bit, but uh, it's pretty astounding. Um, no, I, I think I think that's it. Um, I think mainly the, the big thing from Twitter today, I don't know if, if you're interested in getting it, is uh, this Disney Plus. I know we have. Oh, I know. Look, and, this was Christmas in November for Charles Potter. I promise <laughs> you that. Charlie, how long did it take you to sign up? I mean, where, how, how quick did that process go? Because, uh, look, I, I like it too, don't get me wrong. But I know for you, I mean, uh, how quick did that take you? Ten minutes maybe, max? Yeah, I signed up in the summer. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I'm like six months late, you know? Well, the, the thing that drew me to it is there was a deal going. I didn't get the, the Hulu ESPN Plus package. I probably should have. We already have Hulu. So uh, actually, I put my right. dad's account. I don't want to say I have Hulu. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. <laughs> but um, there was a deal where you could get it for less than $4 a month, but you had to sign up for three years. Um, wow. Obviously, the way that you've hyped this up, I'm a big uh, Disney fan, whether it's movies, the parks, uh, my wife and I, that's it's one of our favorite things. So we knew we were going to do it. Uh, so we're, we're paying about 350 a month, but you had to sign a, a three-year deal. But we did it back in the summer um, around the time of the D23 Expo. And yeah, we uh, we popped it up on the TV about 12.15 last night and just scanned through it. I had, actually... You'll be surprised. I haven't watched anything yet. But, uh, really? I'm, I'm going to. Yeah, what's well, haven't busy. watched Chitty... You haven't watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang already on there? Come on, Charlie. Not yet. Herb, Herb, Herbie the Love Bug? I mean, come on. <laughs> Gus no, the I... Mule that could kick a football? Those are all from my childhood, by the way. I loved them. And I and look, I'd watch them all again tonight. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is um, my thing when I was little, uh, my sister used to always buy me the movies when they came out of the vault. So I had the VHSs. 
because uh, that used to be a thing. I don't know if there's any young people listening, but you couldn't have all of the, the movies that you wanted. They would come out from a limited release, and then they would seal them back up in the vault. So I had all the, the classics, um, and my wife, though, hasn't seen all of those. Like, my favorite movie is 101 Dalmatians. She hasn't seen that, and that's got to change this week. So There you go. There you go. Look, Gus is still my favorite uh, Disney movie. It's from 1976. <laughs> that with Don Knotts? I think it might be, yeah. I think I think Don Don might be the coach, and Gus was a mule um, that could kick field goals. And so I, maybe, that, maybe that's, that's where the kicking came from. Maybe <laughs> that's where the kicking came from. You know, I'm, I'm getting some psychotherapy here, uh, some psychoanalysis, some some deep stuff here, going back to Gus, the Disney flick. Uh, no, we're we're uh, we're excited about it here at Casa de Ryer too. So uh, you're not alone in that. But, Charlie, it's been a lot of fun, my man, and uh, safe travels over to Starkville this weekend. Look forward to continuing coverage, do an outstanding job for us there at BamaOnline.com, and we'll have Tide Talk again for you again next Tuesday night right here on the podcast home built by Bama Online Podcast, the podcast home of Tuesday Night Tide Talk and so many other programs Back with the show again next week for Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you for tuning in. We'll talk to you again real soon.